0: Welcome to episode 16 of the BM Cast. not a podcast that has gone and leaked all of Commander Legends before any creator has had the opportunity to show off their preview cards, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott, and I'm joined by the temple of Milady herself, Emma. How are you doing this week?
1: <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, I haven't done a huge amount, actually. I've been watching a lot of moderns, so I've been watching a lot of streams, uh, in particular Aspiring Spike, who's quite cool. Excellent. So moderns really good at the moment because you can do lots of brewing and try different things and do really well with it so i've just been watching all like the wacky brews that are going on at the moment sweet otherwise i've covered Harden affinity on a budget for modern this week over at tcg player and nice um, yes it does still work without mox opal before you ask <laughs> and i did a cool little product review of the new commander decks from zendikar rising for my lgs which is langdon games which i happy to give a shout out for because they're great and yeah, they're really, really good. I mean, we both got products from Wizards of the Coast as well, these yeah. uh, decks, and they're really, really well built.
0: They're really nice, yeah. I got the Ana one, mm. the Rune Teeth one, and I've been impressed.
1: Yes, yeah. they're really, really good. Otherwise, I finished, quote unquote, Hades, <laughs> as in I got the rolling credits, so that's exciting. Even though I finished it, I'm looking to unlock all the weapon aspects and forge all the bonds with, with, you know, the gods and new characters and so forth. Nice. I still can't do a run with the bow because I can't get on with it. I don't know about you, but I struggle with
0: it. That was amazing. I actually, my fastest run is with the bow.
1: Really? Yeah. Funnily enough, my fastest run is with the rail gun. I expected to not like the rail gun, but yeah, it was really, really easy.
0: I told you, (laughs) that gun is broken. It is stupid good. Once you get the like the hammer upgrade that turns it into a shotgun explosion, like the, it's just game over. Like you just you just cakewalk through. I it. I
1: had a really good upgrade last night for for the gun it turned into like a grenade launcher in my special, so I had like five different oh, yeah. like, shots that would, like burst it out and it just goes everywhere. It was really really cool. But yeah. otherwise, how have you been? Absolutely- well,
0: I'm still playing Hades. I haven't gotten to the to the end credits just yet, but um that's mostly because I've been dabbling with a couple of other games. Genshin Impact, like I was saying, the old uh, mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild kind of clone, which is uh, a lot of fun. Um it's kind of like anime Breath of the Wild, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. I've also been playing another game called Into the Breach. It's okay. like a turn based strategy roguelike, if that makes sense. So I know you know this game, but the old PS1 game, Front Mission 3, it was like a, a grid-based, turn-based strategy kind of thing. It's kind of like that. You start off right. with, like, you know, dudes and mechs, and they have to stop the alien invasion and stuff, and, like, you have to go around these islands and save them and stuff but when you die and lose the game which you're inevitably going to do because it's pretty hard you get to send one of your crew members back in time with their mech or whatever back to the start so you keep a little bit of your upgrades as you go every time oh, which is kind of- uh, which is kind of cool so it's a little bit like the idea with hades where you get to keep some upgrades and mm. that kind of thing it's very very nice also non-magic related. Let's just get it out of the way first I suppose. A lot of people don't know this but I am a musician. I've been playing lots of different instruments for I'd say about 15 years at this point. I used to be a big metal head. Now I'm mad into like video game music like chip tune and 8-bit kind of stuff and this week I found out what an omni chord was. I wouldn't begrudge you for not knowing it because mm-hmm. I didn't until like I said this week. It's a really weird looking synth. It kind of looks like a bent out of shape frying pan uh, that Suzuki made in the 80s and use it to make loads of like really sweet 8-bit kind of sounds and and chords and that kind of thing. It's been used on like the soundtracks for shows like Adventure Time and Steven Universe and all sorts of stuff. And I like look it up Google Omnicord and look at it. The thing is an abomination, but it is like the nicest sounding thing in the world. And now I must own one. I've just become obsessed with it. I've been looking up like, videos of people playing it all week. It's so good. It looks so sweet.
1: To be honest, if you didn't tell me what it was, I would assume it was just something from Mass Effect.
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but magic-wise, haven't been doing a whole lot. Well, I've been doing a lot with Commander. I have been looking into actually breaking down my Talarun Sky Summoner deck because it's really strong, it is impressive, and it's fun to play. But it's not fun to play against, so usually I'll only ever play one game with it. It will be over pretty quickly, and then, all right, let's just take out another deck. So it never really gets good use, so I think I'm changing it up, and I'm actually thinking, I have it here in my hand, uh, Trix the Sudden Storm. I'm going to make that my mono-blue deck of choice, with a sub-theme of Sphinx Tribal. Yes, I'm in. Sounds dumb, and I love it. I also just recorded a few games with Angelo and the Affinity for Commander Boys, which Mm. was really good fun. I definitely needed those games. I was supposed to visit my friend Ian, who, if you're listening, Ian, what's going on, man? How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was supposed to visit him this, this weekend, but... Uh, Instead of being able to get some actual paper games in, Ireland went into even further lockdown due to the incompetency of the general public in the face of coronavirus. So that was a thing. But thankfully, the webcam guys came through uh, with a few games and that was enough to get the itch scratched just a little bit for now, so
1: still need to get a webcam so we can play some proper EDH. So is is like, good to go. So my only webcam is the one in this laptop, and that is far from practical when it comes to webcam <laughs> EDH.
0: Spelltable <laughs> does let you use your phone as a camera. Oh, okay. While you use, it's a beta feature, so it's not guaranteed to be perfect, but I've seen people use it to, to great effect. And Ooh. you can use it while then also looking at the rest of the game states and stuff on the laptop so Ooh,
1: I'll have to look into that yeah. then we can play some poor DH. <laughs> yeah
0: I, I need to get my Chakram Slinger and Chakram Retriever deck finished I've only got a few cards left to get so
1: infinite zoomies
0: if you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget to level up your game and get your stonks on. Right, so this week, we are talking about constructing modern mana bases. I'm a push for this episode this week, and rightly so, because if you want to get into modern and you want to play decks with it, you kind of need to make sure that you can cast your spells.
1: Yes, <laughs> spells are pretty good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Before we jump into it, I do have a couple of rules. This is what I sort of follow when it comes to building mana bases, particularly on a budget. I've got four rules, and they're pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The first one is a phrase that you should always remember, and that is medium cards you can always cast are infinitely better than good cards you can't. That is to say, you are better off putting some of your money for your overall deck budget, put a reasonable amount of it into your mana base. You can spend loads of money on all of the really good non-long cards in the deck, but if you're running mostly basics and tap lands, you're just going to die before you get to cast all your sweet cards. I would say roughly like forty to fifty percent of your your budget cost generally into a mana base is kind of how I run it.
1: Yeah, so when I do my upgrade pass for my articles with TCG Player, the first thing I tend to look at is just commit some money to your land base because even if you don't upgrade like the spells later on. Yeah. just gives you a better game plan, right? It just offers more consistency. You're gonna have less like issues later on. Also, with with land bases in modern, they transfer into other decks. So yeah. even if they do cost a little bit of money, you're gonna get that usage in various other archetypes.
0: That's it. Then the second rule is build to your curve. So if you don't have many like turn one plays, for example, you can play a couple of like scry lands or creature lands or something. You know, if you're a slower deck. Similarly, you know, if you've got, say, like, one single black card in your entire deck and it's a late game piece, you only need to have a few sources in the deck. Uh, You might not even have to run a basic for it. Just make sure that you can eventually cast it, but you don't need to spend too much on making sure that you can get a bunch of jewels to be able to splash that one card, that kind of thing. The other one that I've got is consistency over utility. So if you have the opportunity to put some utility lands in, reconsider it and consider replacing them with additional dual lands. For example, if you have a choice of a Blast Zone or, say, a Wandering Fumeral, I'd probably go Wandering Fumeral for the most part.
1: Yeah, it kind of depends on the deck. Big but time. as a general rule of thumb, you just want your colours more than anything. Even if you get to a point, it's like, yeah, my man is like, super consistent every single time. It, perhaps it's too much. Then you can start picking away at it and then go, oh, I could add this one, say, Blast Zone, or add this one Buried Ruin, or you know add this one like seagate wreckage if the archetype allows it sort of thing i think it's better to overcompensate to begin with and then you just break it back down and then you can okay i can chop and change a few bits
0: yeah for sure
1: mystic sanctuary is a really good example i guess in in the aspect of like is it yeah with wandering funerals and stuff because that is a utility land yes it's an island yes it can come in untapped but for what it does it's, it's a utility land
0: yeah mystic sanctuary is a very good example of this because you need three islands in before it'll come in untapped you need to make sure that your deck's running enough islands to actually do that in the first place and if you're running a bunch of dual lands that don't have basic land types that'll cause a huge impact and will probably mean that it's actually just strictly worse than a basic most of the time so yeah those kind of considerations are important And then finally, the other one, there are exceptions to this, but always play at least one basic of each color that you play. For example, if I was to ever build like a, I've a budget is a Delver deck at the moment, I run one mountain. Now, for the most part, I've either dual lands or islands and Blood Moon, I don't really care that much because I will get that red anyway. But there are cases where some of my Ghost Quarter might only dual land and I've got islands otherwise and I won't be able to cast red spells unless I have the one mountain in there so always make sure that you have one basic of each color generally
1: yeah like in the instance of field of ruin for example you get a basic anyway so that just gives you gives you an option just to get that one basic because In decks like Delvey, you don't run that many anyway and you don't Mm. really want to be stone rained because it just feels bad. So just even if the mountain is like, there's a potential of it being really bad in your opener, it's just still good to have in the deck. as just like an insurance. For sure.
0: Mm. Now, when it comes to the actual meat and bones of this topic... We're not going to go into super, super nitty gritty in terms of, say, like, colour requirements and and pips and costs and that kind of thing. Frank Carsten has already done a significantly better job than we could ever <laughs> hope to do. Frank Calculator, as I call him. His stuff on Channel Fireball, his articles there and, and all sorts of stuff, they're just there's something else like that guy's a human calculator basically there's no better description he's also but. an
1: excellent player he played a lot of affinity before the days of mox opal banning he was very very good at it yeah or wizard
0: yes yeah, so if you want to check that out we will put a link in the show notes to frank carston's article on how many colored mana sources you need to be able to consistently cast your spells and that kind of thing
1: right so a tip that's a really good one to start with, especially if you're on a budget, is figuring how much you have to spend on not just cards, but how much you can spend on lands. As Scott mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, you want to spend roughly or at least 50% of your your budget, quote unquote, mm-hmm. towards lands. Again, it kind of depends on the strategy you're playing, and this is more aimed at monocolor decks because your fixing is also really, really good, yeah. and you don't really need to do much. This is more in the case of like dual colours, tricolours, and even four colours in some cases. Mm. It's important just to like figure out how much you can spend either like weekly or monthly on cards and just slice that in half and just go, yep, I'm going to use this half to buy lands, whether that be shock lands, pain lands, any kind of lands, because they are the bread and butter of magic and you can't play spells without good lands. That's it. And yeah, so that's just the best way to do it. And I recommend looking at something like Goldfish just to get a rough idea of prices. As Mm. we mentioned before, Goldfish tend to be a little higher on their prices. So that gives you like the maximum you can spend on it. And then you might have a little bit of change left to pick up something else for your land base.
0: Absolutely. One thing which is crazy is a lot of the time when I build budget decks, I find that just naturally 50%, 60% sometimes even go into the mana base because in my head for modern... For dual color decks, the minimum that you should have in, say, like, faster aggressive decks, which we'll get into more detail with later, is, like, four fast lands and four shock lands. Once you do that, you're already, like, for building that $100 Delver deck I was talking about earlier, it was four steam vents and four Spire Bluff Canal. And Mm -hmm. already I was at, like, $80 or something. And then, yeah, it's crazy. Now, to be fair, the rest of the deck was like, it was like a dollar for four Delvers and that, you know, like opts and and those kind of things and lightning bolts, like they're not expensive cards, so they sort of fill out mm. themselves nicely. But that's kind of the way it's always been with Delver decks in general, both in modern and even in legacy. It's like all of the cost of it is just in the mana base.
1: For, for Delver, it's just built on commons and uncommons and then yeah. you, your money's just in the land base and maybe like a brazen borrower or two.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I would generally recommend pretty much no matter what archetype you're playing, is to try and maximize the number of untapped duels that you can afford. So like that, if you can afford, say like the 40 or $50 or whatever for a playset of shock lands, fantastic. But if they're the only things that you can afford is just that one playset, don't get them. Instead, get four pathways and four pain lands and maybe like two checklands lands or something like that. Get, get as many untapped duels as you can afford for the amount that you've got. Because sure the four shocks are going to be great. But then you're going to have a bunch of basics. Or a bunch of tap lands. And the times when you don't draw those four shock lands. You're going to feel it. You'll, you'll be able to tell the difference in consistency.
1: I agree. So when it comes to budget. I think it's always good to focus on buying more cards. Rather than like we've gone over it before. Like the one super expensive card. So yes you can mm. buy four shock lands. Fantastic. But it's not really going to make much of a difference. So even though you might have to buy more lands later on, which can cost more money, you're saving a lot of grief and ultimately you're going to have a better play experience because you've got like 12 dual lands as opposed to the four really good ones. As long as you evaluate quantity versus quality, mm-hmm. I think you'll be fine.
0: little tip actually, when it comes to the dreaded fetch lands, right? So <laughs> mm-hmm. fetch lands, obviously no-nos, generally speaking for budget. But what I do for my mana bases in Modern, t- I tend not to include fetch lands by default because they're way too expensive and I pretty much only play budget, is look at a Pioneer equivalent mana base and basically use that instead because it's good. It's still good. Like, you'll still have the odd time where like, oh, I can't fetch up exact perfect mana, but magic's more fun when there's difficulty in doing these things. You know, it's why Omnath and stuff have been huge problems because it's all too easy to turn it into a zero mana 4-4 four four that, you know, gives you cards and all sorts of stuff. The mana bases, the more complex they become, the harder it should be, not the easier. And that's what Feshlands have been doing. So yeah, yeah the, the Pioneer mana bases are perfectly fine to port directly into Modern if you want to save yeah. a bunch of money.
1: Agreed. Yeah, I'd definitely go with that. Um, sure. And even in some cases, you can make some room. So because mm-hmm. the Pioneer land bases aren't complete, per se so yeah. we don't have the allied color of Painlands, nor do we have the allied color of fast lands if i'm correct yep so you can kind of tinker with it a little bit here and there but as a general rule of thumb yeah that's uh, a really good shout cause pioneer land bases are pretty solid anyway because you have shocks you have check lands all sorts mm-hmm. yep so another good tip is uh creature lands are reasonable but only as like a one or two of as a way to close out the game depending on what you're playing so Mm. i would tend to run a couple of creature lands in say like a control deck or a mid-range deck because you are a lot slower and you can afford to play a turn one celestial colonnade and it's not going to impede you because you're a control deck you you're a lango deck yeah in like aggro or combo it's probably not as good because you want your lands to either come untapped or do something when they come in. So for combo, you'd want something like a scry land so you can filter your draws, so you, you can draw into your combo sooner. Um, yep. And aggro tap lands are just generally quite bad because you care about curving out and having you know one two three curve and punch. Yep. But in modern, if you're looking to build like a budget mid range deck or a budget control deck you could probably get away with free, to be honest like two to three creature lands it's just a way to close out the game and you know more copies are probably better because you have stuff like ghost core and field of ruin prevalent in the format
0: yes also if you are in two colors for example and you're not too heavy on your requirements for like so you don't have too many double pips of either color then something like field of ruin can actually be a nice little way to fix while also disrupting it's definitely not suitable for the faster decks, you know, like aggressive decks or burn or anything like that. But if you have like a mid-range deck, throw in a few Field of Ruin to be able to maybe, you know, something like Noctron off a turn or something or...
1: It's great against Field of the Dead at the moment.
0: Yes, very, very good against Field of the Dead. Which is Field a big problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a thing. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if eventually it went with, uh, with the likes of Astrolabe and stuff. Eventually. Agreed. I think it's going to take a few more people to realize exactly how ridiculous that card is. But Mm. yeah, it is a nice little utility. And I think personally, and I know a lot of people that I've mentioned this to before have agreed with me, that I think Field of Rune is the perfect non-basic hate utility land. You know, like I I, I think it is far and away better than Ghost Quarter. I think it's, this is going to sound weird, but I think it's better than like, even like Strip Mine and Wasteland and stuff because it's balanced. It's fair it's not like, oh, suddenly I'm going to completely ruin your game plan, unless they're being incredibly greedy and they have no basics, which is already breaking one of my rules to building mana bases, so don't break the rules. Yep. Play basics.
1: Also, as a side note, if you are playing Field of Rune, make sure you have enough basics to fetch up with it, <laughs> yeah. because you don't want to stone rain yourself in the process.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, budget decks tend to be a little more, uh, yep. a little more uh, endowed in the basics section, but, yep. uh, but yeah. <laughs> for sure (laughs) yes so let's do a quick run through of all of the different types of lands that you are likely to see or want to play in modern and how they're in any way useful because some of them get a little more credit than they deserve and some of them are unsung heroes you should probably just play more of so let's start this off emma you have strong feelings on pain lands
1: Yes, I think Painlands are great, and I don't know if this is a hot take, but this is a take I have. I think Painlands should be printed in every core set, like every reprint set that happens every year, because they're super cheap anyway, so Mm -hmm. the prices, like, accepting the allied ones because they're not in Pioneer. And even then, they're not super expensive. Yeah, they're really cheap. Mm -hmm. They're probably some of the, the best dual lands you can get on a budget. Oh, yeah also it just allows you to play aggro and standard <laughs> yeah there was a point when ferros and what core 21 came out where we just saw two loads of scrylands and it's just like what are you doing you can't play aggro because it's just too slow mm. like the scrylands are like what bulk careers at this point
0: sense yeah
1: but yeah just just the fact that you know painlands are they're cheap they're effective. They're really good on a budget as well because they're really good placeholders on like Horizon Lands and like Shock lands. And also it does this really cool thing of teaching you how to use life as a resource because yeah. you're slowly taking away damage from paying mana.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The only time when I'm not wild on paying lands in budget mana bases is if most of your things are one or two mana and are then like single or double pips or something. Because um. that means pretty much every time you tap them, you're going to be taking damage. They're they're good yeah. because sometimes if you're casting something that's like one in a red, you can filter the you can put the generic into it and that's fine then. But
1: like if I was like a free colour deck, I wouldn't run like eight of them, for example. Yeah. I would run like no more than five. Yeah. But I just think they're really good for what they do and you know, not everyone's gonna afford shock lands, and I just think this is a really good option on it. Mm-hmm. And I just want the other cycle of lands in pioneer already. Oh, I mean come stop. on, see. I know Pioneer's dead, so come on. It's not dead,
0: (laughs) it's just full of piles at the moment. and uh, That's dead to me, I guess, yeah, okay.
1: (laughs) It reminds me of the The Simpsons episode where Milhouse just shouts, you know, stop hitting him, he's already dead, and that's what Pioneer kind of feels like at the moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. It definitely doesn't help that we can't do it in paper, but yeah.
1: Yeah, sad times. Hopefully it'll come back.
0: I hope so. I want Phoenix to be playable at least somewhere. Uh, (laughs) Next up... We've got checklands, so checklands for the most part don't see any play in modern like at all. Sometimes really you see like me. a single glacial fortress in blue white control. Sometimes,
1: yeah. and even then, yeah. it's like a prairie stream. It, it kind of changes. I think it's just like the flavor of the month for blue white control.
0: <laughs> yeah, but honestly, like if you have enough basic land typings in in your mana base, and by that I generally mean if like sixty percent of your mana base has a basic land typing in it, like if they're shock lands or the battle lands or that kind of thing, then check lands are, are perfectly fine to run. Mm. In two-color decks, I could run up to three. It really depends on how the rest of the mana base is built, but yeah, they're, they're perfectly acceptable.
1: Yeah, I think they are close to the perfect kind of land in Magic. You know, mm-hmm. you've got stuff like dual lands and so forth, but I think this is the closest to like one of the best lands you can get because... Like the criteria of having a basic a Land with another land type is so much easier than Pay to Life. Yeah. I think these are severely underrated.
0: Yeah, I think, I think these should be viewed as really well balanced, like you said, in the same way the Field of Ruin is really well balanced for the yeah. non-basic hate, like we said. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Checklands are great. Some of my favorite standard mana base is Check Shock. They're just, yes. oh, it's just, it's beautiful. It's nice, it's smooth. Checklands will nearly always come in untapped, the shocklands, you have that little bit of like play with the life resources kind of thing and it's it's enough duels to be able to make like three colors work but not make it super buttery smooth perfect because yeah i just don't like perfect mana bases it just like to be able to make sure that you are playing with the right colors and stuff on time that's like a mini game in and of itself to me mm. i like having to try and figure it out both in the deck construction stage and actually in terms of sequencing and keeps in my hand and that kind of stuff. Yes. Like I actually would not want to have like, OG duels in, like, any format, pretty much, for that reason. Yeah,
1: it kind of reminds me... We talked about it before we recorded, was uh, back in Khan's the Tarkir standard, where we had fetch lands, and then Mm. you had... You didn't have shock lands, but you had the tango lands, which had the the land typing, so you could fetch them off it, you could fetch basics off it. And it was just very, very, very good and smooth. (laughs) That standard format was also really expensive because everyone just played four-colour piles and, you know, had, like, perfect mana, and it was just... Like, it was interesting to watch, but it just felt like I was watching modern and not standard. If that makes sense because yeah. it just felt too felt too smooth.
0: Awful lot of shuffling too.
1: Yes, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Czech lands are great, and they sh- you should probably be playing them more. To be honest,
0: yep. Another thing that should probably see more play is pathway lands.
1: Yes, I' really really surprised they are not played. Like I haven't really looked at pioneer a lot, but I feel like these are going to be really good when we can play paper magic again, and when we can play pioneer again
0: they're so good like i know that some people are looking at them and being like oh they'll only tap for one color and yeah but you have the choice when you play it and like i said the mini game of sequencing how you play your lands and what lands you put in and stuff these are an excellent little piece to the puzzle to be able to play also
1: they're really cheap at the moment so cheap <laughs> outside of the dimir one because the dimir mm. one's seen a lot of playing standard because of rogues Also, another point I made before we recorded is that I suspect the Gruul and Dimir ones to be the most expensive just for Pioneer Mm. purely because we don't have the Painlands in those colours quite yet. So a lot of things that were holding Gruul back in Pioneer was just the mana base because you had to run like temples and game trails and they were just terrible. And now you've got this pathway land that kind of replaces that. It makes it far more consistent. You can play your turn one elves quite easily. And yeah, I, I suspect that price will increase once Pioneer becomes more prevalent again. So if you want to pick some up, now might be a good time to do so. Absolutely. Bit of stonks for you there.
0: Bit of stonks. Yes, then also Fastlands. Now, when we say Fastlands, there are two sets of Fastlands, I suppose. Part of the same cycle, but two sets. One is the Kaladesh ones. They're the budget ones because they were most recently printed. And then there's the Mirrodin ones, which haven't been reprinted in forever, and cost like twenty plus dollars each. A lot. Yeah, don't don't bother with those ones if at all possible. But any of the Kaladesh ones, they're like some of them are as low as like two dollars, and some of them yep, are a little more really expensive. Good. Like Spiral of Canals, I right know, are like seven or eight dollars each, thereabouts.
1: Yeah, traditionally, when we look at land cycles, the Is not one is usually the most expensive one. This yeah. is the default.
0: <laughs> yeah, because they're just the best ones. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> But yeah, they're they're pretty good. I wouldn't be putting them into control decks and stuff and I would be minimizing their use in mid-range decks. But if you're a nice little fast deck or a little combo deck or something that wants to be able to play their spells as quickly as possible, I would throw as many of these in as I could.
1: Yes, they're really, really good. Uh, I will make a short note that with the Zendikar Expeditions, the Zendikar mm-hmm. Rising ones, they did reprint the older Fastlands in there. Oh, yes. Some of them are coming up a little bit cheaper than the original printing. Granted, mm-hmm. it might be a bit more expensive outside of budget realms, but if you're interested in picking some up and you don't care about the border or the art, it might be a good opportunity to like just keep an eye on prices because you might be able to get a good deal
0: absolutely now mm. the other one that is very very important probably the most important i would say shock lands. so yes shocklands are really good for a number of reasons and um, they can come in untapped basically any time at the cost of the two life which is great now mm. like i said earlier if these are the only ones that you can afford to buy then don't buy them instead buy a bunch of others so that you can you know increase your spread of dual lands and stuff but if you can't afford these You will be able to transfer these from any deck of the color pair that you've chosen. So say like if you choose breeding pools, they will go in any deck that run blue and green. Because unlike the fast lands or the check lands or whichever, they will always have a good spot to go in. Like they're just such easy includes. Yes. They are pricey though.
1: They are pricey, agreed, so you can play them pretty much in any archetype in modern, which is huge, mm-hmm. which is why they're so expensive, yep. and you just have this freedom to either just play it tapped on turn one, or play it untapped and play play a creature, or, or do something. Yep. I expect these just to keep going up and up, just because of their usage yep. of mostly modern and, to an extent, pioneer, but yeah, if you can just manage to get like a set of each shock land, you're pretty much sorted for a very long time. Granted, that's expensive, but focus on the colours that your deck's in and then kind
0: of take it from there. Yep. That's it. Next up, we've already talked a little bit about one of my favourite ones, Wandering Fumeral, and that is the Creature Lands. So, again, if you're like a mid-range or control deck, just throw a few in. They're great. Yeah. Particularly control decks because you're not always playing on curve. You know, sometimes you're just going to be holding up a two mana counterspell and then on turn three mm-hmm. you're going to be doing the same thing. So you may as well play a top land that will later do something else and that kind of thing. So they're handy includes.
1: One thing to keep an eye out from a deck building perspective is just check the cost of animating that land and make sure you have the right mana to activate it within your land base. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. One that I think doesn't actually get enough praise as a budget land is some people call them tango lands, I call them battle lands. The ones from Battle for Zendikar where they have two types on them, the two basic land types, and they enter tapped unless you control two or more basics. That's pretty decent. Again, budget decks are gonna be running a reasonable amount of basics anyway, so it kind of leans into the budget mana based deck construction anyway. So a couple of these are, are pretty alright, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think they're really good.
0: They're kinda of like reverse fast lands.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't run no more than say like two, but they're just really nice yeah. to have in the late game.
0: Yep, that's it. I ran two in Blue White Soul Herder.
1: Mm nice. And also we haven't had the other cycle of those either come to think of it. No. I was kind of surprised we didn't get them in Zendikar Rising, to be honest, but...
0: Yeah, I'm glad we got the Pathway Lands instead, but yeah.
1: Same, agreed. So next is a cycle that I'm actually pretty big on, which is the Filter Lands, which are a set of lands set from back in the wind block. Mm-hmm. that have been reprinted a bunch where you can tap a mana of any colour and then you get to filter into that colour pairing. So you can filter into, say, if you had a Boris Land, you can filter into white-red, mm-hmm. hybrid colours, and so forth. I really like these as like a one-of or a two-of in like mid-range or control decks. They're just really flexible. I think they're quite cool.
0: I think between these filter lands and another land type that we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, the Triomes, I think these are absolutely necessary if you're going to be building four to five color mana bases in modern. Mm. Without fetch and shock, obviously. Yeah. Because it just helps you get so many different colors. Now, there are going to be draws where, you know, you'll look at your opening hand and you'll have like three filter lands and you've like, got a mulligan because all of my lands tap for colorless but that's okay sometimes you'll have to take that because you're well you're trying to build a four or five color mana base on a budget <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> you gotta take your beats you know roll with the punches but like if you want to be able to say like cast Niv it on turn four or five or whatever reliably you're going to use like filter lines and triumphs and stuff to be able to make that happen. Mm. Now, I'd take my hat off to you if that's what you're trying to do on a budget. But, (laughs) but, and uh, (laughs) if you have got some sort of budget deck list, I would love to see it. (laughs) But that's... Sort of the number one place I would say that I would see them. Another one is if you have something with very heavy requirements of both colors. Say, if you're a two color deck, like Blue Moon tends to run one or two of the Cascade Bluffs because you mm. need to have like double blue or triple blue for, say, like Archmage's Charm, but then also have triple red for like Kiki Jiki or whatever else you're doing. So they're very situational, but when they're needed, they're really good.
1: Yeah, that's why you don't want any more than like two. Yeah. So next we have is Horizon Lands which are the land cycle from Modern Horizons and previously to that it was a Horizon Canopy. So you pay life for a mana of any colour or you can sacrifice it to draw a card. These aren't really budget just because they have the word draw a card on them Mm. but eventually they are really really good to pick up. It just gives you the option just to have an untapped mana source and just pay one life and kind of do your plan. Often these are quite good in like tempo and aggressive strategies because yeah. the fixing and the fact it's untapped is super important and a lot of the time your land count is super low so there will come a point where you aggressively crack these two draw cards just to keep the aggression going
0: mm-hmm. absolutely they're really really nice and you'll often see them in even monocolor decks just as ways to yes. be able to like draw through whenever you need to find more yeah. gas so
1: in my mono white taxes list i run for silent clearing just so i can draw a card mm-hmm. i don't run any black you know, once I've unloaded my hand of frets, I'm like, okay, cool, I can just keep it going.
0: That's it. And then we mentioned them with the filter lands there a second ago, the triomes. Generally speaking, I would my opinion on these ones is a little bit different in that unless you are, like I said, trying to run a bajillion colours or you're running fetch lands, which if you're on a budget you're not, then I would generally try to <laughs> avoid these. They're just not great, but like if you add like say four triomes to your deck You're going to be playing off-curve way more often than you think with four guaranteed top lands. And then you have that other little mini game that I personally don't like, which is like, am I going to play this land now and play off-curve so that I can play later better? Or am I going to play on-curve now and then off-curve later? Or am I going to hold this land and hope to draw another one and then cycle this? or Like, none of the options there are going to be good, pretty much at all. It's fine, you can get away with it in Standard and maybe Pioneer sometimes. But they're not questions you want to be asking in modern, like you want to be asking questions like, can I kill them this turn? Or can I stop them from killing me this turn? And if you're playing a tap land with three colors that cycles for three mana, I don't buy it, personally.
1: They're okay, but I think there was a lot of hype with them initially when they first came out because they have free typings on them. So everyone's like, oh, that must be really good because they have free land types on them. I like them as like a one off in like Jeskai Control, for example. Yeah, that's fine. Like game plan is relatively so you can just cycle it, mm-hmm. but I would not run no more than one. I kind of see the triomes as like a, a utility land essentially. I don't treat them as dedicated color sources.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, the power of them in modern is with fetch lands because a lot of decks yeah. that run them are running them because they are running, say, like you know, four color euro piles. They're not doing anything else on turn one, so they can just okay. fetch a triome and then have basically perfect mana from turn one.
1: At the least, so mid range control in Pioneer mm. runs like one of the triomes still. Then there's no fetch lands in that format as well, so that that kind of gives you an idea of how clunky they can be.
0: That even yeah, even the slow clunky decks don't want to play all of them.
1: Yes, is it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so we have general suggestions or baselines when it comes to general archetypes. So, for example, with Control, some of the best ones to run, Creature Lands, sometimes Triomes, the Tango Lands and Shock Lands, they're all generally sort of the best ones that you could fit into a Control deck. Like, you definitely don't want to be adding, like, Fast Lands or, say, like, Pain Lands where they'll keep hurting you every time you want to do something and you're desperately trying to stabilise and stay alive, you know. Yeah,
1: and when it comes to mid-range... You're looking at something similar. So you're looking at shock lands, which are the best you can get. Mm-hmm. And then following that, you're looking at check lands, uh, the creature man lands, and then you're looking at the filter lands. The further you go down that list, the less copies you want. So you'd probably yeah. want like two creature lands, two filter lands. I'd be comfortable running a set of check lands if I didn't, if I just ran basics, for example, if I didn't have the mm. shock lands as well. But if I had both, I would probably just want a set of each just because they're really good.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then when it comes to aggro decks, you just want everything to come in untapped. So shock lands, fast lands, pain lands, and the pathways. If your mana base is mostly comprised of some combination of these, you're probably fine. If you're low on the pain lands, fast lands, and pathways, you can add like maybe one or two checks, but I would be very, very sure that like in that kind of scenario, I'd want at least say like 80% of my mana base to already have basic land typings before running my first check.
1: Yeah, I'd probably run like two check lands tops. Yeah. If it's in your opener, it's just not great. And it's yeah. just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Guess I can't kill my opponent this time then. You know, it's a bit awkward when you're an aggressor. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to combo strategies, it kind of depends on the kind of deck you're playing because there's different kinds of combo yeah. and there's different decks that want different kinds of mana base. So take Ednaurism, for example they are happy to run stuff like the temple lands because the scrying is really important to find ad mm-hmm. When it comes to storm, you kind of want untapped sources. Yeah. So for storm, you'd want stuff like the fast lands and the Painlands, particularly. And, it, and in ad nauseum, you would want, say like the scry lands and a lot of them run like the rainbow lands. So stuff like gemstone mine, for example. Yeah. Kind of depends on the goal of the combo deck. Like, you need to evaluate that. And if you are playing combo on a budget, it, the, like getting a budget land base might be quite difficult because it will really hinder your game plan.
0: I agree, yeah, it's as the Resident Combo player here, there's no way in hell I would run a single Tap land or Skyland or whatever, for example, in Storm, like you said. But it is a perfect example between, like, Storm and Ad Nauseam, because Ad Nauseam runs Temples to make sure that they can filter through without overloading the deck with cantrips and stuff. Like, it does have the, you know, the sleight of hands and the Serum Visions, but it doesn't then run, you know, opts and Thought scours and all sorts of stuff. Like, it would rather just run the, the couple of things, because it often spends a bunch of turns doing absolutely nothing, and then mm. it just goes off, you know? So, yeah, yeah. It's definitely very deck-dependent. Now... I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it, the world is a weird place sometimes, right? The world is a very weird place sometimes. And sometimes I have to rant about it. But sometimes the world is so weird that I don't rant, but instead Emma does. Yeah. What's that about?
1: I have requested ranting rights this week. Granted. Uh, well, because we're on the theme of lands, I figured I'd bring up mm. the fact that, you know, Cavern Souls is horrifically expensive and no one can play tribal decks in modern... Yeah, Yeah. what's up with that? I would say this uh, rank would be uncountable, but I don't own a Cavern of Souls because they're so expensive, so I'm just going to say it anyway. If you're familiar with modern, tribal decks are quite a popular thing. So we have stuff like humans, you have stuff like spirits, you even got stuff like slivers on the loose end of the spectrum. And tribal is quite a popular theme in Magic in general. A lot of us played tribal mm. decks as we first started. It was a really good entry level to the game from a casual perspective. Looking on Goldfish, the, the price of a Cavern of Souls is $70 at the moment. Jesus. And the worst part is you can't really run one in a tribal deck. You'd want to run four. So multiply that price by four. So that's
0: $280. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it is a horrific amount of money for quite a basic thing when it comes to magic. It's quite a fundamental thing just, you know, having uncountable stuff. It's been, it's been in the game for years. Mm-hmm. What I think it's doing, it's just pushing players away from enjoying a very popular and well-loved aspect of the game. It's harming how people want to play the game. And while reprinting fetchlands is something that should happen, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. like they should be reprinted into the ground, why can't Cavernous of Souls be reprinted into the ground too? It got upshifted to Mythic in Modern Master 17. Upshifted. It was once a rare.
0: <laughs> That's... What is going on? I... I mean, like, I, I literally can't complain with anything that you're saying here. Like, I agree wholeheartedly.
1: <laughs> yeah. If anything, I know, like, Modern Horizons 2 got designed and sorted at this point. I just hope there is a printing of Cavernous of Souls at Rare to go along with those fetch lines because it's getting to the point where no one can really play Tribal. Mm. And it must suck it wanting to play humans, but you can't because your metagame is full of Control decks. Yeah. Because you just can't afford a Cabin of Souls. Like, how, how unfortunate is that for you? Like, it's, it's not fair.
0: What do you have to say to the people that suggest using unclaimed territory as a budget alternative?
1: Well the thing is you run both alongside each other. Yeah. You, you don't like yes it's a placeholder but you need to replace the unclaimed territory as well. What do you run? Mana confluence which is like $30 at the moment because thanks pioneer. Like you get my point.
0: <laughs> oh I I do absolutely. I do 100%. I've made the argument before about this and I've been met with just run unclaimed territory. I'm like I don't think you have ever played like, the format. Take, take-
1: take humans for example it runs ancient ziggurat which is not that great come Mm -hmm. on but it works in the deck and then you have unclaimed territory you should have cavern of souls but you can't because it's 300 dollars for a playset for a card that just says uncountable on it it's it's ridiculous
0: Yep. Yep. rant over (laughs) you could you could always play those uh is it the lorwin tribal dual lands
1: Yeah, they're they're not great, though. They're really not. I mean, Merfolk (laughs) merfolk plays the blue-white one. That kind of tells you how good they are.
0: (laughs) Just got to get that little Merfolk jab in, yeah? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Always.
0: (laughs) All right. So if you've gotten it out of your system, Emma, we're going to take ourselves over to some Q&A. Every Sunday we do this. We post out on Twitter to ask us questions. And, well, Angelo just missed the boat last week. He posted a question just after we recorded so uh angelo at the jess guy asked us do y'all have any favorite budget cards from zendikar rising that has surprised you maybe a card or two that's cheaper than you originally thought or a cheap card that has overperformed so far what do you think emma
1: so mine is one that i've just put into mono white taxes is more um, of the Sky mm. i think this card is really really good and no one's talking about it it's great um, all of the Sky's Claves is a free mana artifact in white. It's equipment, so when it comes into play, you can attach it to that creature straight away, which is super, super good. It's what you want to be doing in aggro. A quick creature gets plus two, plus two. It also gets flying and first strike, so it's a it's a keyword soup. It's really, really mm. good. Yeah. In the aspect of mono white taxes, it's got flying, which is super relevant because you want your threats to be evasive. Yeah. And this is just amazing off a of Stoneforge Mystic, playing it on turn three, equipping it to to a fret and just go into town is just really really good and it's now like a common feature of the stoneforge mystic package which is really good especially on like a budget you can easily run like a couple of these instead of swords and you'll probably do quite well
0: yeah it's decent i originally was surprised that i saw it show up in any lists at all in modern and then when i saw it in action i was like oh i get it now i get it. it's, yeah, it's it's good. real good
1: <laughs> i kind of want to try it in boris hammer as well because i think there, there might be some potential there as well yeah.
0: Absolutely, yeah. How about you? I had a little bit of a look through when I saw this question at first. So I have done two top threes. I've done for constructed formats in general and then also for Commander because I've been getting a lot more into Commander. Angelo's primarily Mm. a Commander player as well. So, But what I did was I didn't include any rares or mythics. I'm just talking about commons and uncommons that have really impressed me so far. So for Commander, the top three are Seijiri Shelter, It's a tapped planes, basically, on the back with instant speed protection. That's really, really good. I've put it into Teshar. Mm. It has performed beautifully. It's so cheap. It's so good. There's not much more to say about it. Same with Malachir Rebirth. It's basically the same thing, except you pay two life and it doesn't give protection, but rather when something dies, it comes back, which a lot of things in black have dies or ETB triggers. So if anything, it's better. And then mm. also Balagued Recovery, the regrowth with Oof, the land on the back. Hard. That's just like, I know people were expecting Amazing. it to be good, but it's so good. It is.
1: It's just so clean.
0: I think it's an incredibly well-designed card. And like, this is coming from the person that doesn't own a green deck yet. So like, <laughs> it's, I'm saying it's very, very good. In Constructed, a couple of things in particular have really, really shone for me. Solundi Vision, the Dig 6 Impulse for instance and Sorceries with the land on the back, that has been incredible. I've been playing it in Twiddlestorm as a two-of in place of two lands. Oh. But it's been working really, really well because when you're going off, the one thing that can happen with that deck is you can brick by drawing too many lands. And now I'm drawing Saloon mm. Divisions instead and I'm digging to find my yeah. next piece to keep going. So that's been really, really good. Spike Field Hazard, I've been putting in everywhere and it's been killing all sorts of stuff from young pyromancers to lotus cobras to bobs to noble hierarchs you name it it's been killing so many things it's great and then blood chief thirst i was not expecting blood chief thirst to be good enough for modern but i put four of them in i replaced a lot of my fatal pushes in my eight rack deck and oh my god being able to kill a ren in six for one mana is insane And then later on, it's just kill something, like no matter what it is, I'm all on board for it. It is 100%. It is the real deal. Pick up your copies Mm. now because you'll probably use them at some point.
1: Yes, I've seen it in uh, Demir Mill as well, mm-hmm. a couple of Blood cheese first in the Mayboard instead of Fatal Push. It's just like, wow, okay, this is actually really good. Oh, yeah. I should pick some up at some point,
0: actually, yeah. I to think of it. I would say, particularly budget-wise, it's definitely better than Fatal Push, and the reason I say that is because yeah. you don't have Fetchlands to turn on Revolt that easily, and this hits Planeswalkers. So, yeah. like, the only downside is that it costs more to hit higher than 2 CMC, but that's not that big of a deal, and it's Sorcery Speed, but... It's one mana, so like whatever, it's fine. But yeah. Yes. Then at Pulicon, I'm sorry if I got that wrong, I'm terrible at pronunciation. They have two questions. First one is Do you think the price of Skyclave apparition will be going down after the second wave of prints, or is the force too strong with this one? What do you think?
1: So it's a tough question, just given the whole climate and distribution and so forth. Mm. Honestly, my gut instinct is that it's just only going to go up because people have clocked on how good this card is. It is probably one of the best cards in the set, and it's not close. Even extending to Legacy, it won a flight on the Eternal Weekend yesterday. Mono White Death and Taxes won Mm. with three Skyclave Apparitions in them. And if it's making ways in Legacy, that kind of tells you how good it is. To be honest, if you're after a set for whatever reason, I'd just pick them up now because they're probably just going to go up and up because they will see playing Standard, they'll see playing Pioneer and Modern and Legacy. And given just how things are awkward with COVID and distribution and so forth, it's just going to rocket that price up. So I would just bite the bullet because you're probably saving money. Yeah. I admit I was lucky to pick them up. I picked mine up at like four euros each just before everyone kind of clocked on. But yeah, I would just find the retailer that sells them the cheapest and just take the hit because you're going to play these a lot and because they go in every white deck and every tribal deck at this point.
0: Yeah, I'm not particularly well versed in the finance end of things so I can't really predict things particularly well but I have experience in seeing cards like this, you know, go up and down and so on. Uh, I don't really see how the card can become much cheaper given the amount of play and success that it's already seeing, like you said Emma. Um, yeah. I do expect it to sort of end up probably around the $5 mark and sort of retain that for a while and then probably go back up after you know a long time has passed and reprints don't happen
1: i think this could comfortably be a 10 pound rare you reckon even outside of standard yeah
0: Hmm. bottom line is like i don't really expect it to lose much value at all and i would probably go with emma on this and probably just take the hit and pick them up
1: if you need them that is If you don't need them then don't bother
0: yeah the second question from Pulik was if you would be pushed to splash an extra color to D&T, Death and Taxes, which one would it be and why?
1: So I have two answers here. Um, honestly, Mono White is the best version right now. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to splash into different colors, that's fine. But Mono White is like the best version at the moment. However, I'd be tempted just to go into black because you have this amazing removal suite. And I really love Wasteland Strangler as a card.
0: Yeah, Nice.
1: Like go go to an Eldrazi taxes kind of build. Um, you could probably go into blue as well and run stuff like Spellquellers and like Lavinia. That sort of have that sort of combo going. Okay. Um, but I'd be more pushed, I'd be more pushed to go black white myself because Wasteland is a hell of a card with the amount of exile effects that you have in white.
0: I would be inclined to say the same thing, but less for Wasteland Strangler. I personally never had great success with a card. It's always been fun to have those gotcha moments where you just vile it in and, you know, take your opponent's Ancestral off, suspend and put it in the graveyard and kill something. Like, that's that's always fun. Yeah. But... Tide Hollow Scholar for me, is mm. a big draw because you're able to, like, violin a flicker Wisp and Flicker it with its trigger on the stack to permanently exile something and then exile something else. Or a Flicker with a Restoration Angel do the same kind of thing. And then you've also got access to, like, Fatal Push and Thoughtseize and all sorts of typical amazing black cards as well. One that I have seen, though, recently, is adding blue. And I'm very intrigued by this because you get access to... If you want to, counterspells and stuff don't work great with Thalia, but they're there. They're an option. But Meddling Mage is obviously good at the moment. Humans is doing good. And mm. you also get stuff like Reflector Mage, um, again, in Humans, and Deputy of Detention and stuff as well. I did see, uh, they were playing it on Versus Live. Rosmarion was playing Blue White Taxes, and they were playing Glasspool Mimics. And they played the Glasspool Ooh. Mimic, tapped... At first, and then they viled in at the end of Corey's second main phase, viled in a Flicker Wisp, flickered out their land, and then went to end step. and The Flicker Wisp uh, or the Mimic came back as a Flicker Wisp, which then flickered out yeah. a blocker on the opponent's side. And then suddenly, Ross has like for essentially paying zero mana and losing a land now has six power of flyers in the air and got rid of a blocker for a turn and just like absolutely crushed his Huge. face inwards. Like it was, it was insane. So having those kind of like crazy flips like that mm. i can see that happening and and going down well but it's also kind yeah, of sweet. cute like how often is that going to happen though <laughs> you know? that,
1: that's the thing though flicker wisp is just you know the epitome of cute plays right yeah. so another good thing you can do with flicker wisp if someone's playing one of like the flip spell lands mm-hmm. and have the landslide you could hit it with flicker it flips and then it goes into exile because they can't play it yep because it doesn't come back as a land so, you, you can a stone rain for free mana as well, which is, is a cool tip for, for Death and Taxes players out there.
0: Yep. Anyone playing Oops All Spells, watch out.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, from Eve the Maze 97, uh, has a cool little stonks tip for for, Ooh. for, for people listening. So, budget magic-wise, Mass Hysteria is an exact copy of Concordant Crossroads, but it is in red, and it is sitting at $5 at the moment. So, it's something, this is for Commander we're talking about here, um, it's something to definitely pick up if you're in red, and you want your creatures just to have haste for one mana. It just gives all creatures haste, as does Concordant Crossroads, just a heads up. Mm. Um, but if you're after that effect in Commander for $5, it is... Pretty good considering Concord and Crossroads is a ridiculous amount of money at the moment.
0: Yeah, my eyes are watering at the price on Scryfall here. Apparently, is thirty four dollars yep. for Chronicles copy. Yeah, and that's and that's green. white border. Um, like, ugh. Uh, yeah,
1: exactly. Why would you pay that for a white border card?
0: Well, because because you'd have to pay one hundred and six dollars for the Legends version.
1: <laughs> just sharpie it, and um, also. Angelo came in with a tweet while we're recording right now. Oh. Just to mention that the, the boardless versions of Jason Nahiri from Zendikar Rising, so the Planeswalker mm-hmm. cards, um, they are showing up far cheaper than the set versions. What? So if you want to pick up like a Nahiri here to the Ancients or a Jace Mirror Mage for, for whatever reason, if you're building a like Boris Hammer, for example, um, they are much, much cheaper on TCG Player at the moment than their standard variants. Just a heads up. Ooh. Bit stonks there.
0: Stonks i love it thank you for listening to the bm cast if you have any questions comments or sweet brews you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com you can follow us at the bm cast on twitter search for budget magic cast on soundcloud and support us over at patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast we'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck